use it as a way to teach somebody else. But this young man was saying, you know, I've never really prayed out loud before. You know, I get really nervous and, and whatnot. And, and I know what that's like because I remember when I became a Christian when I was 14 years old, one of the very first convictions that I had was I wanted to, to bring my great-grandmother back to the Lord. I felt like, you know, I, I wanted to, she had already been bedridden. She, she had a stroke. And I wanted to, to see if she wanted to recommit her heart and life. And I know that she couldn't go to church. So from about the age of 14 till about the age of 19, I decided to have a church service at home. So every Sunday we go to church and I come home and I'd have a little church service there with my great-grandma. Well, I can't sing. I didn't know how to pray. I certainly didn't know how to preach. And so basically what I did every Sunday was my prayer was reciting the Lord's Prayer. Every single Sunday, reciting the Lord's Prayer. And then the only song I could sing was Old Rugged Cross, which was her favorite. So we sang that every Sunday. And then my sermon was just reading a portion of Scripture. And I did that for years and years and years. But here's the funny thing. You know, you, you, you memorize the Lord's Prayer over time, and it kind of teaches you how to pray, right? kind of reminds you of things to pray. So I shared that with this young man over the weekend, and, and hopefully that was an encouragement to him. So, Pam, you did a fantastic job leading that prayer, and I could actually hear your voice. It came out well. So, very good. All right, Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. We're going to be dipping our toes back into the book of Daniel. Um, uh, Daniel, if you remember, we have been reading Daniel not in book, chapter, verse order that it has been written for us in the book of Daniel. Um, because it's not written for whatever reason. This, when the scribes put these books together many, many, many thousands of years ago, um, they didn't put it in chronological order, and they put it in order of visions and dreams. And so what we've been trying to do is we've been putting these things back in their order. If you remember uh, Daniel's chapter 6 and 9 and 11 and 12 um, all take place in the uh, first year of Darius. He's the last ruler that we've been talking about. So Everything that we're reading about right now takes place toward the very end of Daniel's life. Anybody remember about how old Daniel is right around this time? 70. Anybody got anything else? He's in his 70s, I think. I think he's actually pushing 80 right about now. He's really, he's up there. He's, he's really, really up there. He's had a lot of experience. Um, Darius is this, this uh, ruler from Persia who's come to power um, he's ruling at that time. We just got through with the, the story of the lion's den. You guys remember that story? What was the main thrust of the lion's den story? Somebody recap that for me real quick. I got the mic. Anybody want to recap that story? Nobody wants to? All right, Art's got you. Art's got you. Go ahead, Art. So the king's... Uh, the bottom. Press the bottom button. And it should just hold it for a second. It'll pop on. Hello. There, there we go. go. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> those uh, the uh, servants for the king, I forget what you call them. They're his advisors. Yeah. Were uh, were jealous of Daniel, and they wanted to get. Well, they wanted to have him killed. Yeah. And uh, they talked the king into mm -hmm. uh, um, putting forth an edict that for a month. All um, prayer and all reverence should be for the king. And they knew that they would catch Daniel uh, praying to God. And they turned him in, and they, the king had no choice but to throw Daniel in the lion's den. That's right. And the Lord shut the lion's mouths, and uh, Daniel was unharmed. But it was bad news for 
the other age of the kings because their children and wives, the whole families, were thrown to the lions and they were, their bones were broken. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And uh, what would you say, Art, you can answer if you want to or throw it to somebody else if you want to. Um, what was the way that they trapped Daniel? How did they get him? They couldn't, they, they looked for moral issues, I'm sure, like all politicians. They were probably like trying to dig up dirt first, right? Sure. What's Daniel really been up to, you know? They couldn't find anything, right? Because the Bible says that he was blameless. Remember what we said blameless means? It means you live your life in such a way that other people can't point their finger at obvious things that are going on in your life. You're living a blameless way. Now, that doesn't mean hiding your sin really well. <laughs> Sometimes people mistake that and think that means just make sure people don't see what I'm dealing with. No, he lived a straight life, right? But how'd they get him? How'd they get him? They, they did a back door on him, is what I call it. Yeah. Done his whole life, revere the Lord. They use that against him. Right. But it took um, uh, convincing the king to make it an edict for a month, and then they could go after him. And they hoodwinked the king, basically. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah. Yes. They were using the laws against him, which is interesting because in the laws of Babylon, you remember Nebuchadnezzar was above the law, but in the laws of the Persians, the law was above the king, right? Whatever the king says, if he makes a law, even himself is bound by that law. Now, there's a little side note, a little tidbit I want to throw at you here that I, that I gleaned in my studies or whatever, and I think it's, 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 interesting. it's, it's, it, yeah, it's interesting, can't talk. Um, in Nebuchadnezzar's day, the, um, the, the, the wise men, or what we call the wise men, the magicians, the ones that, like you said, were the advisors to the king, you could be an advisor from any culture, any background, as long as you had wisdom as long as you had smarts, as long as you were somewhat of nobility, you could be a part of that group, right? That's why he brought in Daniel and those young ones, to raise them up in the, in the king's palace. The Persians were different. The Persians were much more ethnocentric when it came to a group of people known as the Magi. Now, that ought to ring a bell in your ears when you hear the word Magi, because where else do you see the Magi? The birth of Jesus, right? The three wise men. Were there three, really? We have no idea. We know three because of the gifts that they gave, right? It could have been a whole entourage of people. It could have been a whole caravan of people. We don't know. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so I bring all that up because in Persia, it really was supposed to be Persians who were a part of that class. So they were, I could imagine, bringing Daniel in with his, with his status and with his gravitas that he carried around with him, being someone who was just widely known as a wise man, it really irked them to know that there was a non-Persian who was not only a part of the Magi, but he was the leader of the Magi, okay? Which, by the way, tells me, uh, it gives me an inclination as to why the three wise men several hundred years later wound up at the doorstep of Jesus when he was two years old. It's probably because of the prophecies that were handed down to them that told them when to look. And you say, well, Tim, is there a prophecy anywhere in the Bible? that gives you the day or gives you the time period of when Jesus was to be born? Turns out, yes. And we're going to get into that here in just a minute in Daniel chapter 9. How's that for an intro? Does that bring us back on? Is, it, is that a good on-ramp? Okay, we're all, we're all together. So let's start in verse 1. And if you guys have any thoughts or questions or uh, rebuttals or whatever you want to throw at me, just make sure you raise your hand and uh, we'll get into it this morning. Verse 1, Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, 
who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, so he's reading his Bible, right? That the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. And so I turned to the Lord God, and I pleaded with him in prayer and in petition and fasting in sackcloth and in ashes. Now, you remember Daniel's praying. Now, that's how they got him, right, Art? He was praying three times a day. And in the last class, if you remember, this was two weeks ago, I think two weeks ago when we were in here looking at Daniel, um, I asked the question, what was Daniel praying so hard about? You know, I mean, yes, he prayed three times a day, but he's praying really, really hard about something. What turns out what he's praying about is he's very well aware of this prophecy that was given to Jeremiah. He's very well aware just by the sheer fact of his own life. He's already lived past 70 years himself. He knows that the 70-year captivity, that prophetic time period, should be about to come to an end. And so he's praying. He's praying about this. He's trying to figure out, when is this going to happen? Lord, what, you know, can you make this happen? Let's, let's end this horrible chapter in the nation of Israel's history. Let's bring them back to the land. Um, <clears throat> so let's hear some of Daniel's prayer. Verse 4. I prayed to the Lord my God, and I confessed. Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and your laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you, we and our kings and our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we've sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiven, forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws that he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and the sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out upon us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has been done like what's been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures unto this day. We have sinned. We've done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all of your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all of those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and the petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor 
on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that, has become, that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we're righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. I'm just going to stop right there. Wow. Now, that's, a, that's an incredible prayer. How does that prayer hit you when it, when it, when it hits your ears and your heart? What, what do you sense and what do you feel in that prayer? First of all, do you feel like that prayer is kind of building up to a crescendo? I mean, the, 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 the phrases get shorter and shorter. Lord, hear. Lord, please forgive. Lord, do this, right? David, you had a thought. Where's the microphone? Here we go. Thank you. What strikes me is his selflessness yeah. in this prayer. It, it's just incredible. If anybody could have prayed, Lord, forgive them for, because they have sinned. I haven't, but they have. It, it would be Daniel. It, we don't have any record of his sin. But he knew he was identified with them. And so he completely makes him look as bad as everyone else. Yeah. And the other thing, if we could have been in the room and watched him pray this prayer, I think we would be struck by the fact that he's praying for Israel to be able to return to their country and look at this very old man and realize he's not going to go on that trip. Yeah. He, he's not going to enjoy the benefit of this prayer. That's right. That's a great point. Okay, so another question I want to put out there is, you know, sometimes I think about, and I, this is probably bad, I, but, but sometimes I think, well, what if an American had been in there? You know, Lord, I know we got a lot of crazy people in this country. I'm so glad I've gotten my act straight, but, but Lord, please forgive them. And David brought up a great point. Here's this 80, almost 80, 80-year-old man. He's been walking with the Lord. He's blameless as can be. And yet he's repenting, like you said, as if he did the sins himself. He's repenting for his people, and it's, it's from the heart. And he's not ever going to get to go there himself. He's doing this for the people. So why do you think he's doing this? Why is he praying for the forgiveness of his people, not just himself, but his people? Pam? It's on. Let me see it. Okay. It's green now. There you go. Um, to me, you know, this prayer of Daniel um, is really begging for mercy for Israel, God's people, because, you know, yeah, they sinned, and God sent them out of Israel, I mean, out of Israel, but Daniel's really begging for mercy and for favor for Israel to return home yeah. to the land that God blessed him with. And also, um, it also spoke loud and clearly to me that he um, was, uh, you know, even though according to the book of Daniel, he's blameless, but yet he's also included, you know, to me, He's including himself into this yeah. prayer. 
So, you know, that meant a lot, especially to me. I don't, you know, it's what spoke the most to me. And I'm just, you know, I'm praying, you know, that God does do this because Israel does need to come home. Mm -hmm. The Jewish people really need to accept Jesus into their lives and into their hearts because that's where he, that was his home. Good. Very good, Pam. Thank you. Anyone else have a thought? Anybody? This side over here is a little quiet today. Have y'all noticed that? All the comments are coming up with David. But anybody? Or Sandy. (laughs) Well, yeah, Daniel, of course, uh, the Hebrew root of that, God is my judge, Mm -hmm. or, yeah. Um, But, yeah, I I really appreciate the comments about American and we are we are so self-centered and so self-focused you know and there's good and bad in everything but we're very focused on you know pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and but it is it it leads us to be too self-centered and self-focused but Daniel he is a picture of Christ as the intercessor and if we think about the Lord's (coughs) Prayer give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses and so that's what we all need to be doing is being more us and there is judgment not i think too often we think we will only be judged individually but there is judgment on a nation and that's one thing i think that worries us as Americans, especially our age, you know, my age, grandparent age or so, it, when we've seen the huge changes in the past 50, 60 years, it's a very different country that we live in yeah. than the one we grew up in as children, a lot of us. So so you bring up a really good point that, that I want to, or Rick, did you have a thought, brother? I was just going to point out, yeah, verse 18 ahead. seems to be the key to this whole discussion that we're having. Which verse? Verse 18. 18. It's not because of our righteousness, but because of your mercy. There is probably no stronger statement in Scripture, at least in the Old Testament, about the grace of God than that one right there. We don't deserve any of this. We cannot do anything to establish our own righteousness. If we do, we fall far short. But because we're dressed in the righteousness of Christ then we do have the ability to come into the throne room of God and, again, not plead our own right. performance, but the finished work of Christ. That's a great point. So there's a, a verse, there's a scripture that I know that you all know really, really well. Um, see if you can help me quote it. If my people, who are called by my name, shall humble themselves... Is I, am I saying it right so far? Was my resident Jewish brother... <laughs> right, uh, shall humble themselves and repent, I believe it is, uh, then the promise is, is that he will heal the land, right? I know I just, ch- Teresa, I'm sorry. I totally just killed that one, didn't I? She's like, you're doing it wrong. And I, I can see the fate. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, no, uh, but, but, but here's the thing. You know, you and I, we tend to think of ourselves individualistically, and that, we inherited that from the fact that we live in the United States of America. This like Sandy said, this is an individualistic society. It's about what you can accomplish, pulling yourself up by your bootstrap, accomplishing that American dream. But in most ancient societies, I mean, even in Kenya, I, I would even say probably in Kenya, 
they don't necessarily think in terms of me individually. They think in terms of the community, the family, right? For, for several of you who've been overseas, um, they think in terms of family, in terms of community. Well, guess what? That's the way it was for the Jews, too. Your salvation, it's, it's collective, together, right? It's, it's about the nation of Israel. And there's this principle that you see in the Old Testament that God, when he deals with you, when it comes to your salvation, absolutely he deals with you individualistic, individually, right? That the blood of Jesus Christ has to be shed for you and for your sins. But at the same time, there's also a principle that runs all throughout Scripture, and Sandy, you hit the nail on the head, where God will also deal with nations collectively, and he will deal with the soul of that nation and the sins of that nation. And there's a line in the sand that God has, and I don't know where that line is, but, but when, a sins na- when a nation's sins reach a certain point, God lifts his hand, and he will allow certain judgments to come upon there. I can think of just a few right off the top of my head. Nineveh is probably the best example. A Gentile nation, right, that was sinning before the Lord, and they didn't, like, even in the text, they don't even know their right hand from the left, but God had a standard from which he judged them. Now, there is a, 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 a principle in the Old Testament law that I call this, I don't know anybody else who calls it this, but I call it this, called the law of repentance. The law of repentance, and it goes like this. A lot of people don't realize this, but in the law of Moses, you remember, what did he say? He said, everything that's happened to us has happened according to the law of Moses. Remember that? So when I was doing my study, I was like, okay, wait a minute. Where in the law of Moses does it even talk about this? We're going to take you to somewhere here in just a moment in the book of Leviticus. But it turns out when you read the Torah, when you read the Old Testament law of Moses, even in the law itself, it laid out in advance the entire future history of the nation of Israel. Are you aware of this? And, and there's blessings and cursings. And, and if you remember, he gave them the blessings. And he says, listen, if you obey my word, if you keep my commands, if you keep the ordinances, if you do the things that I, that I tell you that bring you life, he says, there'll be this and there'll be this and there'll be this. There's all kinds of blessings. You know, your crops will never fail. You'll have children. You know, it'll be bountiful and blessing, all this kind of stuff. And then he gets a little further down uh, in the, the, the passage. And he says, but if you don't, if you don't listen, if you turn away from me, there will be curses. And he, he lists them. There'll be this, and there'll be this, and there'll be this, and there'll be this. And he says, if you don't listen to me, I'll punish you seven more times for your sins. And then he goes even further, and he says, and if you don't listen to me even then, I'll punish you even yet seven more times for your sins. And then he gets to the end. And I want to share this with you because this is exactly what Daniel is thinking about when he's praying this prayer. I want you to take your Bibles, take Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus chapter 26. Daniel is a law-abiding Jew. He knows the scriptures. He knows the principles. He knows the blessings and the cursings. He knows that while they were in the land for 490 years, God gave them his grace. They enjoyed the blessings even when they were sinning against him. But now because of their sin, they are experiencing the curses. But listen, the law tells you how to get out of it. The law of Moses tells you that if you one day... Like the, 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 um, the prodigal son, you wake up in the pig mire and you come to your senses. Guess what? The law of Moses shows you how to come back. Listen to this. Um, Leviticus chapter 26, <clears throat> verses 33 through 35. Now this is part of the curses. I will scatter you among the nations and I will draw out my sword and I will pursue you. Your land will be laid waste. Your cities will lie in ruins. Did that happen? Yes, it did. That's exactly what Daniel's praying about, right? Keep reading. Then the land will enjoy its Sabbath years all the time that lies desolate, 
and you are in the country of your enemies. Now, I want you to stop right there and realize what you just read. In the law of Moses, hundreds of years before this event ever occurred, God knew that they would not listen. He knew that he would have to give them the curses. He knew that he would scatter them. And he knew the reason why that they would get scattered. He knew the reason why, which was what? They didn't keep the Sabbath. For 490 years, they did not keep the Shemitah, the land Sabbath of the years. And so after 490 years, God says, you owe me 70. Now, that's in the text hundreds of years before it ever happened. Is that not amazing? Both of you think so. That's good. I'm, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Go ahead. But that's why this section is three times longer than the blessing. Yes. He knew they weren't going to go that direction. He knew they weren't going to go that direction. So keep reading with me. Leviticus 26. Look at um, verse 34 one more time. Then the land will enjoy its Sabbath years all the time that it lies desolate and you are in the country of your enemies. Then the, less, then the land will rest and enjoy its Sabbath all the time that it lies desolate and the land will, have it, land will have the rest it did not have during the Sabbaths that you lived in it. Okay. Now, the question is, how do you get out of the curses? Here you are, you're a Jew, you're a law-abiding Jew, you're sitting there in Persia, you're reading the Torah, and you're going, yeah, I did that, that's why I'm in this mess, <laughs> right? So how do you get out of it? Well, guess what? Keep reading. Look at Leviticus 26, starting at verse 40. But if they will confess their sins and the sins of who? Their ancestors. Their unfaithfulness and their hostility toward me, which made me hostile toward them so that I sent them into the land of their enemies. Then when their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they pay for their sin, I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. For the land will be deserted by them, and will enjoy, enjoy its Sabbath while it lies desolate without him. They will pay for their sin, because they rejected my laws and abhorred my decrees. Yet in spite of this, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them. I will not abhor them, so as to destroy them completely, breaking my covenant with them. I am the Lord their God, but for their sake, I will remember their covenant with their ancestors whom I brought out of Egypt in the sight of the nations to be their God. And then I love his stamp of approval he puts on the end. What does he say? I am the Lord. So you see what he says? So one day, Jews, you find yourself in this predicament. What's the way out? How do you get to come home? Repent. And what is Daniel doing? He's doing exactly exactly right he is a law abiding jew here isn't he go ahead david i've got a question yeah this is the second time this week that praying for the sins of your ancestors has come up in my life that usually means god's trying to get my attention yeah i've never done that is that something that we should be doing praying for the sins of those who came before us so that's a good question anybody want to anybody else have Rick, a thought you know, sometimes horrible sins can be carried down through families. You yeah. know, incest, sorry, but that's one of the most heinous things. But yeah. <clears throat> in certain areas, even in the country, that was accepted and expected. 
I mean, just heartbreaking. But the sins of the fathers, it could be drinking, carousing, cursing. You know, the culture that you grow up in is how you're going to tend to act. If you are highly blessed and raised in a good church-going family, you've got a much stronger, you know, probability of right. walking with the Lord. But, of course, God can use anybody and reach into the darkest places to pull them out. But I love... Korah, um, the story of Korah and the sons of Korah. Korah was a first cousin to Moses, and he and his compadres got all riled up yeah. with Moses and Aaron. And who do you think you are, you know, putting yourself in charge? Well, Moses immediately falls on his face, like, oh, you know, he was interceding for the people. Yeah. And Cora, of course, and, and that bunch wiped out very <laughs> big way. But the sons of Cora did not go along with their father, and they helped write some of the Psalms. So I just praise God for the sons of Cora. Yeah. He is known for his rebellion because, yeah, just like Daniel and those leaders, you know, the families had to suffer and be thrown in. Yeah. To the lines then because of the father so it's real so thank yeah. you uh so uh, Ted, david my two cents on that would be um i know for me in my own prayer life you know many many years ago i've, I've repented for things that i learned from my fathers you know but when it comes to the nation um there's part of my daily prayer that i have i'll pray for my family i'll pray for the elders i'll pray for the church i'll pray for the nation and usually when i get to the part where i'm praying for joe biden and i'm praying for the nation i will say lord forgive us because it, collectively i put myself in because i'm an american you know and whether i like it or not i have contributed to america and and I'm not always good either right i've not always been faithful so whatever judgments god may be allowing upon america i had a hand in those judgments whether I, I believe it or not, but just by nature of me being a member of this country and because of the nature of me being a sinner. So when I pray corporately for the nation, I do. I pray on behalf of the, our founders, our, our forefathers, and the ones, the generations that came before us. Forgive us for our failure to you know, see how important it was to have you in our schools and to have you in our culture. Yeah. And, um, and especially now, you know, because I do believe that the Lord is lifting his hand over america and that we are experiencing more and more it's not just america the lord i think is lifting his hand all over the place i mean all over the world if you keep track of the news and i know we live kind of like in this little bubble we don't really hear a lot of what actually goes on outside of here but if you do hear what's going on in the world around you um the world is in turmoil and i think the lord is, is trying to wake people up it's my opinion and you don't have to agree but that's my opinion huh yeah no it's all good Thank you, brother. <laughs> Deborah and I, when we went to the return in Washington, D.C. in 2019, 21, we were there, and there was well over 100,000 Christians that Jonathan Kahn and some of the leaders were leading that we prayed for the nation. We prayed the east, the west, the north, the south, and to the Capitol for all the senators and all the congressmen and everybody there. That was biblical to pray for the... That's right. 
and it was phenomenal. <coughs> Good. Is that called intercessory prayer? I think so. It's intercessory prayer on a bigger scale, but that's exactly what Daniel's doing. He's interceding for his people and for the, for the nation. Absolutely. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that was the second bell. I'm going to leave you right here. Go back to Daniel 9 really quick. I'm going to read um, 11 and 12. So now you understand why Daniel says these words. Therefore the curses and the sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against you. We have fulfilled the words. Listen to that. He says, we fulfilled the words that was spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Skip down to verse 13. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins, giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. That's a pretty incredible, humbling prayer when you think about it. And let me ask you this question. Do you think Satan likes this kind of praying? No, because this is the kind of praying that fulfills prophetic events, right? Because this is, I don't know how many people in, in Persia are doing this, but he's obeying the law of Moses, which will then in turn ask the favor of the Lord to release the Jews and bring them back into land. That's a major shift in God's redemptive plan. Do you think Satan might want to try to thwart that? Which is why in the next chapter, which we'll get into maybe next week, you're going to see spiritual warfare like you've never seen before. God disperses an angel to bring a very special message to Daniel, but he was held up for two weeks. How many people knew that an angel could get held up? <laughs> Why? Because he said there was another prince, a fallen angel, called the prince of Persia, that kept him, in the, that kept him from bringing that message. Don't think that the enemy does not see what's going on in the spiritual. He sees what he's doing right here, and he's trying to stop it. We'll talk about that next week. God bless you. We'll see you here for worship in just a moment.